Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 215, I think, of A Thompson and Other Disappointments, your twice, sometimes thrice weekly delve into the worlds of politics, dystopia, news, journalism, media, depression, crestfallen, uh, I, I don't know, um, whatever it is, welcome. Um, big day today, It's I think it's day three of the Tory conference, Conservative Party conference for 2023, which is very much like the world's worst festival. Um, I don't know if you've been following my punk politics stuff, but uh, I said on one yesterday, I was like, I'd rather be at fire. I'd legitimately rather be at least there were celebrities at fire. I mean, I know the food looked terrible and it was coordinated by Ja Rule and all of the artists cancelled at the last minute because they saw what was coming. And, you know, fundamentally it ended up being like some sort of uh, Lord of the Flies situation, I think. But still rather that than this um day one there were empty seats lots of empty rows even though it was james cleverly and grant shapps giving keynotes um lots of reports of manchester being like a ghost town hardly surprising because the train strikes have mauled everyone's ability to get to the conference <laughs> Uh, everyone except the Prime Minister and except Jeremy Hunt, of course, who have flown up there in private jets, uh, such as the gilded gilded existence that they both enjoy. Um, no, no self-awareness at all, is there? I mean, here, like we are living in a country the, in which like we're enjoying a crumbling infrastructure of everything like schools, hospitals, trains. You know, the trains are in such a dire state, so underpaid and unmaintained that they're literally striking while this conference is going on. <laughs> These guys are like, ah, it doesn't matter. I'll just fly. I saw a tweet by a guy the other day. Who was it? Uh, David Frost. Former Brexit negotiator, David Frost. And he was like, yeah, you know, congratulations to Jeremy Hunt. You should be flying up there. Good for you. You know, there's no need for trains in the 21st century. Everyone should be flying. 30-minute flight to Manchester? That makes perfect sense. I was like, I bet you could get up there in 20 minutes if it was you running away from your Brexit deal. Bellend. Um, so, so yeah, we're, we're in such a state that our infrastructure is crumbling and we've got these train strikes uh, and the Chancellor and the Prime Minister are literally flying what could be achieved in like an hour and a half, you know? <laughs> Imagine if they just set an example. Imagine if they, you know, they were like, look, we, I know it's tough at the moment, guys. I know it's hard, but look, as an example, you know, we're all in this together, all of that stuff. I'm in touch with the common man. I'm one of you. I'm going to catch the train or I'm going to be driven up there at least. But no. No, we very much have two sort of, yeah, gilded existence individuals at the top of government flying up there to give speeches to tell the rest of us don't worry guys look we're doing this this and this and aren't we doing amazing so yeah that's uh that's where we've been at for the last three days psychologically politically um so yeah it started with empty rows empty seats lots of people remarking that it was a like a ghost town uh, yesterday we had suella braverman who gave her rousing speech. Uh, lots of the papers this morning heralding her as though she's sort of star of the show. 
you know, Suella Braverman, oh, she really got everyone going with her forthright, some say ignorant and quite racist speech. I, I didn't call it that. I'm just saying <laughs> some people out there have labeled it that way. Um, I think you would be a fool at the moment to think that Suella Braverman wasn't going to be the front runner in the next conservative leadership uh, competition or heats, whatever the, the correct word is. I think you'd be a fucking idiot if you didn't think this is her time, man. Like, I don't like her. You may have picked up on that. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Suella Braverman by a long shot. I think she's a chancer. I think she's a tabloid hack. I think she is barrel scraping any culture war, frothing, salivating, salacious nonsense that she can to put herself in good stead, high profile to go for the leadership next time it comes around. I absolutely think that's what she's doing. And we know that because she's taken her foot off the gas by looking at things that she should be looking at, like, you know, cybercrime, which is just soaring. Like um, people conducting tax avoidance. How about a new law to address tax avoidance, Suella? Um, instead of all of that, she's, you know, banging on about bows. Um, so I think she's a terrible home secretary. I don't think she's achieved an awful uh, lot. But what she has done is lit a fire under the editors and sub-editors of the Express and the Mail. So they love her because she is the acceptable face of their racism. That's what she is. That's the box she ticks. And I was thinking about this this morning. I, was, I took my son to school. And I was thinking, why is it that the conservative membership and the express readership, and it's not just the express by a long shot, but, you know, specifically them, I always see them as this sort of um, conduit for this kind of mentality that I'm getting onto. What is it about people like Suella Braverman, Pretty Patel, to a much lesser extent, James Cleverly, because I don't think he does what they do in, in the same way. Uh, Kemi Badnock, definitely. What is it about these conservative cabinet ministers who are people of colour, you may have noticed, as I'm speaking about them. What is it about them that the express readership seems so, so keen on, you know? Why is it that that kind of reader, that kind of conservative supporter is so supportive of somebody like Suella Braverman? And the reason that I got to is this. I, th I truly think it is as obvious and transparent as they are the acceptable face of the express readership and telegraph readership's racism. Because if you are a uh, an express reader, if you harbour certain attitudes, and I'm not suggesting every express reader is a, you know, inherent racist, but I am saying, you know, for, for a lot of people who run to those articles that are bashing immigrants, bashing refugees, um, saying that Britain is an amazing country to be black in, uh, for a lot of these people, when they run to those articles, what they're doing is they're using those articles as collateral to be able to say the things they kind of want to say. You know what I mean? It's like if you've got a Kemi Badnock up there saying Britain is the best country to be black in. If you've got Kemi Badnock saying that, 
Well, then that empowers you then, doesn't it? That emboldens you to be able to say, what are you talking about? Like, There's no problem. There's no such thing as institutional racism. I don't care if you did get pulled over seven times. Kemi Badnock says it's an amazing country to be black in. So I think you're just moaning. Therefore, I don't have to listen to it or feel guilty, blah, blah, blah. You know, I think that is the device. That is the political instrument that is being employed here. They are the acceptable face of other people's racism. And Suella Braverman kind of knows this, I think. I think she knows that she is in a political party that is propped up by outdated attitudes. I think she knows that. It's possible that she doesn't. It's possible that she is one of these people who has just ascended to a certain level of government. Uh, either through competence, but I, I don't actually think that's played a huge role in her political success story so far. Uh, or more likely, I think she's been propelled by acceptable face of racism uh, purveyors, if you like, people who stand to benefit from putting her in a position of power and influence so that they can then say, oh, what are you talking? We can't be racist. This can't be a racist country. I don't have to look into institutional racism or blah, blah, blah. I don't have to address any of that because look, this lady over here, her parents were Indian and actually I can't remember where. Where was her? I can't remember where her dad was from or mum. One of them was Indian. One of them was from somewhere. Look, she's up there. She's made something of it. So the rest of you are just lazy, you know? That, I think, has probably played a bigger part uh, in her uh, career trajectory. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that she knows that, is the point that I'm getting to. She might not know that she was only given a role as parliamentary undersecretary or something. However her career started, she might not know that the only reason that she was given that role was because somebody up high wanted to be able to get away with saying X, Y and Z. She might not know that, but. I'd be surprised if she didn't, you know. Anyway, so yesterday was Suella Braverman uh, amping up her commitment to free speech in her speech before ejecting a fellow conservative <laughs> member <laughs> for heckling her. Because she was banging on about trans rights or something, right? Up there behind her podium, banging. Up, and this guy piped up. And he had an issue with it. He's a, uh, a gay guy who works in the is it the mayoral campaign office or something I read. And he was removed from the audience for heckling, which, look. I have done a lot of stand up comedy in my time and no, I'm not a big fan of hecklers. So let's just get that out there straight away. On that basis, I kind of understand. I think we kind of need to row back from this idea that. You know, oh, she was talking about free speech and that she can't handle this guy exercising his. Like, come on, let's let's grow up a little bit. If I was giving a speech and you came in and heckled it, I would have you removed from the club. I would. And I don't think that would infringe on my commitment to free speech. It would just I would just be like, this person's being disruptive. Get them out. You know, this is my time. <laughs> It's hard enough to get a night out away from the kids as it is. I don't need you ruining my gig. Thank you. I'm doing the perfect job of it as it is me ruining my own gigs. So. Uh, so, no, I don't think it was necessarily a huge exercise in hypocrisy that she had him removed from the auditorium. But I do think it's an interesting thing that 
somebody so vociferously in favour of free speech has overseen the implementation of anti-protest law and has erected anti-protest designated like like I don't know again like if you saw the punk politics video that I put out yesterday but um uh, they all around the Tory conference area they had anti-protest zones so even if you have a problem with the Tories even if they haven't listened to you if they've just mocked you disparaged you dismissed your opinions tried to rezone your area so you can't even vote them out uh disenfranchised you by making it difficult for you to get your voter ID remember all that stuff uh, even if even if you've exercised all of the legal, decent, normal and civil routes to exercise your disapproval of them, when you've run out of the, the normal ways that you do it and you finally begrudgingly book a day off and you go down there to make your voice heard, even then, Suella Braverman is like, yeah, um, yeah, I mean, sure, fr free speech. Yeah, absolutely. But um, not like this. No. No, 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 this is um, no. free speech is reserved for um, people who speak up against cancel culture and uh, snowflakes and uh, people who want to use uh, racial epithets and uh, all manner of things that I normally hear in a British Legion country. All of that is covered by free speech. Absolutely, it is. And GB News. But, uh, but I, I draw the line at you standing there with a placard. Then then you're in breach of Section 14B, Sonny. So, yes, I do that. That side of things, I do think. Is shameless hypocrisy. Because what are you like if you're not if, if you're a democratic nation, but you have outlawed or restricted or frustrated the traditional art of protest? What I mean, what even are you? That's not free speech. That's not a commitment or protection thereof, is it? So yesterday was Suella. Um, and over the space of yesterday also, let's let's not forget the myriad lies, uh, not even obfuscations anymore, not even pivots to borrow Matt Hancock's famous phrase. When you ask a politician something and they pivot and then answer the question that they wanted to answer in the first place, you know. Wasn't even any of that in the interviews this time. It was just out right bollocks <laughs> just nonsense this has been a festival of lies has it that sounds so strong to say it like that but that is literally what this is is you know you've got you've got somebody like james cleverly who you know i, I always talk about this but he uh, presented his department cchq when he was the chairman uh, of the conservative party as as fact check uk what is that if not the most egregious lies. So you got him up there, still in the job, uh, still presenting, albeit to a half-empty auditorium, but fine. Uh, then you had the interviews with Claire Coutinho. She's a recent appointment by Rishi Sunak. Uh, she used to support him in the Treasury, I believe, from memory. Now she is minister for such and such. I don't even know. And she was in an interview and she said that Labour were going to uh, like push ahead with the meat tax <laughs> and the interviewer was like no no there's no there's no meat tax and she was like right okay but i mean that was just a, you know that was a light-hearted moment in my spirit she was like no no let me just correct you you said that labor were going to put in a meat tax that is not happening yeah well, yeah i know i know it's just it's just a little joke it's just a throwaway line from a speech but i think the actual point is you know just utter fabrications 
delivered in a conference speech as though it is reality and it's something that they're fighting against. And more about standing up and fighting in due course, if you saw Penny Morden's speech. But we'll, we'll stick on this for a minute. Stick to the lies and the fabrications because they need to be discussed and exposed and mocked. So you had Claire Cotillo saying like, oh, you know, stick with us or you're going to end up with Labour's meat tax. And this journalist going like, uh, no, no, there is no meat tax. What are you on about? Then you had uh, Andrew Bowie. Who is not a cabinet minister. But if he keeps lying like this, a promotion could be in store for him. You might look at his interviews and be like, oh, this guy. Yeah, he's got exactly the sort of skill set we need. In the Conservative cabinet. You know, you're not troubled by his lying and flagrant dishonesty. Oh, God, no. No, that is a box ticked. Um, so, yeah, we had, wait, uh, Coutinho and then this Andrew Bowie guy. And Andrew Bowie wheeled out the 15-minute cities conspiracy theory. So, yeah, we've graduated from made-up policies about the meat tax to outright conspiracy theories about 15-minute cities which if you didn't see my TikTok this morning, the 15 minute city conspiracy theory is it's like it's this idea. It's, it's ridiculous. It's like it's this idea that the deep states are going to construct amenities and utilities and uh, basically they're going to zone you. They're going to put you in a zone and you won't be permitted to leave. And it's very much linked to a climate science denial like the fear is that they're like well yeah they're going to stop you from using your car and people will be restricted from catching flights or trains unless they're issued with the government green pass so they can cross zones and it's this idea of deep state control big government control you know and the the farage debanking thing sort of ties in nicely with it as well it's like it's about the state and the instruments of state trying to cancel and restrict and but and all that and this fucking core uh, conservative mp wheels this stuff out about you know the impending risk of 15 minute cities and we won't stand for this and like are you are you living on this planet are you andrew bowie please come and join us in objective reality So you've got lies about the meat tax, lies about the 15-minute city thing. You've got Sunak wheeling out nonsense about seven bins. Sunak again wheeling out nonsense about a blanket 20-mile-an-hour speed limit across the country. <laughs> and again, like it's like it's like Claire Coutinho. Maybe Claire Coutinho and her old pal Rishi Sunak, maybe they share media training people. Do you think they do? The way that they're, you know, they say something that is patently demonstrably false and the journalist for once <laughs> corrects them challenges them on it and goes uh yeah there's, there's no such thing as a meat tax or there's why are you saying it's a blanket 20 mile an hour like uh speed limit it's, it's not a blanket it's not like what you talk and they challenge them and they push them back and then here's where the media training comes in they don't even acknowledge it they just freeze <laughs> reboot and then it's back to like, well, anyway, uh, the blanket 20 mile an hour thing or, you know, well, as I said, you know, the meat, well, there is no meat, you know. It's very Maybot, isn't it? 
just this sort of look i've been corrected i will completely not acknowledge that and now i'm just going to carry on as i was anyway in that sense it's the precise opposite <laughs> of a pivot like at least at least with a hancockian pivot you would listen and then move off in a different direction right <laughs> with with a sunakian pivot it's like you listen to the like they they ask you a question you answer it they correct you and then at that moment where you would go off in a different direction instead you just stay on the same fucking direction that you were anyway yeah i've i've listened to you challenging me i'm going to stare at you blankly and then i'm just going to carry on saying the same thing so anyway that was yesterday uh you know lies more lies uh we had liz truss's speech um apparently she was the star of the show I mean, alongside Suella Braverman. Apparently, Liz Truss, Suella Braverman, these are the stars of the Conservative Conference for 2023. Um, I mean, it really is a great testament to the age and mental faculties of the Conservative men membership and indeed the Conservative Parliamentary Party, isn't it? Because... How long was it ago that Liz Truss was in? A, it was about a year ago, right? It's only a year ago that she completely crashed the economy with uncosted tax cuts. But yeah, this conference, there she is <laughs> up there behind a podium, rabbiting on about un, rabbiting on about tax cuts and how this is the route that we have to go to for growth. And the entire conference are like, oh, my God, oh, she's amazing. Oh, she's yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm bought into this. Like, have you ever seen or heard of any clearer evidence that a group of old people are suffering from some sort of cognitive decline and amnesia? Like, where were, where were you all last year? We've already done this bit. Do you not remember? Granddad, wake up. The orderly's here with your medication. Get, no, no, I'm not Dave. I'm Aid. I'm your son. Do you remember? So that was yesterday. Um, Liz Truss. Suella Braverman, stars of the show. Then today is sort of the headliners. You know, today was Rishi Sunak, uh, Penny Mordaunt. Penny Mordaunt, I only caught the last like 10 minutes of her speech, but it was absolutely bizarre. Coming from somebody who I've always looked at as though she's sort of at least half in touch with the real world, or at least before she had that role at the coronation where she turned into something out of Game of Thrones, she's holding that massive sword. I mean, that whole thing was just painful for me. Indeed, for any left-leaning person who has any sort of brain in their head, because it's like, you know, we have this whole global Britain thing. We're desperate for trade deals. We don't want to be mocked on the world stage. You know, how many of your international friends are like, ah, ha, 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 how's Brexit going? You know, I'm begging the world to take us seriously. And then something like the coronation comes up. you got this bitch holding a massive sword here. And then someone's like, oh, behold, the stone of destiny. You know, I'm on a Skype call to friends in Australia and we're all watching it together. I'm just like, oh, man, you cunts. You cut like it's hard enough to be taken seriously as a Brit these days following Brexit. Can we just wind this shit down a little bit, please, Penny? Anyway, so that's where her crazy started, I think. But then I caught the end of her speech and it was just this sort of weird 
rabble-rousing, like, we've got to fight. That's why you've got to stand up and fight. We've all got to stand up and fight. Like, it was so over the top, man. Like, I really think it's for the best that nobody brought that sword out to her in the middle of her speech, because I honestly think she would have raised it above her head and then gone slaughtering through the crowds. <laughs> I mean, maybe that would have been a net positive. I don't know. For the end of the conference. Be upstaging Sunak a little, I think. Uh, but, you know, would have maybe made the entire conference a little bit more entertaining for people like me. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, Penny Morden's speech was um, was weird. It's a bit weird. It's just like, um, you know, like somebody put brandy in her tea or something. <laughs> like, this will be funny. Let's see. <laughs> like, what's your speech about again, Penny? Oh, I'm just going to tell people that, you know, we've got to really make a concerted effort to try and win back votes and donors. Got to win back those donors. And yeah, that we're, you know, we're 25 points down. So we've got to make a big, you know, rounded effort, unite the parties. But uh, and then they're like, well, we'll fucking see about that. Let's see if we can <laughs> spice it up a bit. I mean, I like the vibe. I like the concept. But let's just pour booze all over it and then push you out on the stage. We've got to fight. We've got to fight. I was scared of her. I find Penny Morden a bit scary now. I'm not ashamed to admit that, you know. But then I am quite a sort of feeble, you know, slightly built IT guy. Not massively strong, I don't think. Um, actually think, you know, I love my girlfriend, but sometimes she really, really winds me up. But one of the main reasons I've never assaulted her is I think she'd probably win the fight. Um, anyway, so that was Penny Mordant's speech earlier on. And then came the headliner, the real star of the show. You thought it was Suella? You thought it was Liz Truss? No, ah, uh, ah, uh, uh, no, mate. No, Rishi Sunak, the big cheese, the prime minister, your prime minister. Guys, you might not have voted for him. The public might not have voted for him. But uh, the membership of the Conservative Party also did not. They voted for Liz Truss. But he somehow became uh, prime minister. Um, actually, I forget. I forget what happened now. Did he? So Liz Truss was prime minister. Then she resigned. And then did he just become prime minister? I can't remember. There wasn't enough. There was going to be a leadership thing, wasn't there? Because Boris Johnson flew back for it and then immediately, like, a ban. He was like, yes, I'm going to bloody go for it. And then he was like, I did have the votes. I promise you, I did have the votes. Everyone's like, yeah, all right. Um, I can't remember. I can't remember exactly how he became prime minister now. I'm sure somebody will comment. Um, so, yes, yeah, so Sunak steps up. And it's his time to shine. The lights go dim. Everyone stands out their seats to clap along. Everyone looks really, really psyched that their political leader, leader of the Conservative Party and Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Rishi Sunak, is here. Everyone was really excited, apart from Suella Braverman. She had a face like a slapped ass. She was like, this is this is the thing, right? I've, I've spoken a little bit about this before. Like there were rumors that when Sunak was forced to hire Suella Braverman to appease the ERG, that when that was made clear to him, he replied, his response was, oh God, that means I have to have fucking Suella Braverman. That was what was rumored that had come out of his mouth. And I don't think there's any love lost there. I think she was star of the show yesterday. I think, didn't she say something last week that he immediately, oh yeah, that's right, <coughs> that 
multiculturalism has failed, she said. And he was saying uh, he was asked, do you is that something that you stand by? And he wouldn't back it. Right. <laughs> and then yesterday in her speech, she said something very similar. And then today he made a point of saying like uh, what he, he didn't say multiculturalism has worked, but <coughs> he said something that there was like subtext that was basically pushing back on that. And so then when he comes on stage and he starts speaking, she looks like somebody's just given her some disappointing sexual health results. Like It was like not not a happy face. You know, my daughter has looked happier when she's dropped a lolly on the concrete. You know, just not like somebody really pissed on her chips. That's like what it looked like. She's only there because somebody's dragged. She has the same look on her face as girlfriends do when their boyfriends drag them along to my gigs, you know, just like, oh, all right. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Oh, I'm just going to go get a drink for 20 minutes. Okay. Love. Yeah. Bye. Like she did not look happy. I'm kidding, by the way, most people have a good time at my gigs. I think I hope. Um, so yeah, so Suella did not look happy. James Cleverly happy. Jeremy Hunt, happy. Suella Braverman, not happy. And this is the thing. This is what gets me about Tory conferences is uh, it's about what, three or four years ago, Theresa May's speech was a sort of a bit of a joke. But Boris Johnson's speech was that was the place to be. Rammed. People laughing at his jokes, asking him what he thought about this and that, desperate to hear what he might say because he was the upstart challenger. Now spool forward to this and she is in. So he was foreign secretary. She is home secretary. These are both incredibly senior cabinet roles. And normally, if you're going to become the prime minister, you will have done one of these roles beforehand. So it is absolutely within the realms of possibility that she will be next in line to take over as PM. Make of that what you will. How fucking depressing. <laughs> this is the caliber of politician that is now being propelled into number 10 Downing Street. Absolutely farcical. So she had a face like a smack Uh Sunak, his wife, comes up, introduces him, and she is doing her best to make him sound human. <laughs> Which is, you know, if anyone is listening who has any experience in artificial intelligence and engineering, you will know how fucking difficult that is. That is not a quick three minute job that you could just wheel out on a stage with a good microphone. That is like... Even with a pre-prepared speech that has been checked through PR agencies and spads and gone through all levels of sign-off, this is not that. Uh, it's just not, it's not achievable, all right? So she gets up there and she starts saying, um, you know, the, the Rishi that I met, he was kind, he was compassionate. But the, the thing I loved most about him was his integrity and his professionalism and his honesty. I was sat here going like, is this the same... Rishi Sunak, are you, is this, is this some sort of bigamy situation? Is he masking for her? Like, what the fuck is going on? You know how some men mask, right? Like, you know, they're charming and nice, friendly, decent, courteous to their wives. And then once they get out of the house, <laughs> just the biggest cunt on the planet, parking in disabled bays, 
banging their secretaries, you know, dropping the C-bomb while they're walking through the park and there's kids around. Never pay their mates back the money. But back in the house. Are you OK there, love? Yeah. Can I make you a tea? Oh, yeah. OK. Yeah. No, love you too. Love, you know, masking. Is that what this is? Because her Rishi Sunak seems completely different to our Rishi Sunak. Her Rishi Sunak is like, he's courteous. He's got integrity and he really cares. And he's honest. And he says he does what he, he says he's going to do. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I'm listening to this and I'm going like, does he though? I mean... I don't I haven't seen any like, evidence of that. I know he says honesty, integrity and perfection, but they, I mean, saying that and then actually being honest and showcasing it. They're two completely different things. Do you understand the difference? Murphy, Murphy, Mur I, I don't know a fucking surname now. But they're two very different skills. You can be honest. You can have integrity. But you could also be a complete cunt and pretend you have honesty and integrity by just saying the words honesty and integrity. Which one is he? It's a tricky one. Because before, only a few months ago, he was telling me that your daughters really care about the environment. They are environmentalists and they put pressure on him and he really cares about the environment. But now, as of a couple of weeks ago, he doesn't give a fuck about the environment. <laughs> He's watered down net zero. He's signed off hundreds of oil and gas licenses. He's basically standing there with two fingers up on each hand going, fuck the planet. Rowing back on that shit. Burning those fossil fuels. Spaffing out CO2 everywhere. Honesty and integrity. When he says he's going to do something, he'll do it. Really? Okay. Because he said he was going to finish HS2. <laughs> As of earlier on today. He has confirmed 100% he's cancelling the northern leg of HS2. Honesty and integrity. What a guy. The thing that really drew me to him was his compassion. Really? Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I haven't seen much of that. If I did see it, I suppose I might be drawn to it too. But I haven't seen any of it, especially the time when we were all saying, can you help us with the energy bills, Rish? Could you maybe restrict or nationalise the utility companies? Could you put some sort of windfall tax in and redistribute it to help the most needy? Could you help me with my mortgage, Rish? Because through your predecessor, my mortgage payments have fucking doubled and we can't afford it. We might be homeless. Please, Rish, showcase some of that compassion. Uh, but could, could you just... Uh, hold, hold your nerve. Oh, that is, yeah, compassionate, honesty, integrity. So it started terribly, the speech, but she did. She welcomed him on stage after trying her best to make him seem human. And he comes up and he starts saying about, you know, how he's he, a pharmacist and a GP's son. And he worked in the pharmacy. And so he's always got a special place in his heart for small businesses, and uh, not not big oil, not big energy, small businesses. Not um, not housing development companies who stand to benefit hugely from not being asked to implement greener materials and these new boilers and heat pumps and stuff. Not them, not at small businesses. That's where his heart is, guys. So, yeah, he starts with the sort of anti-humble stuff. 
And uh, he moves on to accusations that Keir Starmer wants to take us back into the EU. Another lie. Uh, what did he move on to then? He talked about HS2. This was this was mind boggling. This was just like the biggest gaslight of them all, because I can take a bit of seven bins. I can take a little bit of meat tax. I can take a little bit of what was the other one? Claire Coutinho's. No, she did the meat tax. The other guy did the 15 minutes in. I can take all of that. You just waterboard me with that shit all day. It is fuel for my satirical fire, if you like. It's just utterly fucking ridiculous. But what really, like, drives the stake through my heart of offence or whatever is, like, when you say that you're going to take the 35 billion. I think it's 35. About, oh, no, 36, I think it was. 36 billion. When you say you're going to take that out of HS2, because you're going to cancel this leg of HS2, 36 billion. When you say you're going to take that and then reallocate it to loads of other different transport projects. And isn't that a mate? Isn't that efficient? Doesn't that make so much more sense? Isn't this conservatism in action. It's fiscal responsibility, guys, because we're going to take it away from an inefficient project that's overrun and doubled its cost and blah, blah, blah. And we're going to allocate the money to mini projects, this bus service, this little train station, give this one a refurb. When you say you're going to do that, that to me is outright laughable. And I'll tell you why, because the Treasury are so starved of funds they need that 36 billion. They just need it. That's why we were even talking about cancelling HS2. That's why there was such a to and fro, such volatility in the Conservative Party about whether they could get away with cancelling it. Because they know that they need that money. If they didn't need the money, they would have just kept the project going. They need it because debt is so high. And if they don't have that money in, maybe they won't meet the payments. Maybe they'll default on some bonds. Maybe they won't be able to pay pensions. Maybe, oh my God, shock horror, they won't be able to bin inheritance tax. Oh, Jesus Christ, the humanity. So that's why they're doing it. They're cancelling HS2. So they've got an extra 36 billion to play with. The idea that they are going to pull that money into the Treasury and immediately spaff it out again on transportation improvements when there's schools that need rebuilding, when there's hospitals that are just decrepit and also need rebuilding. The idea they're just going to pull it out of HS2 and then reallocate it and spend it on something else is absolutely fucking ludicrous. And to try to sell that to people at a conference in the keynote speech by the prime minister after two or three weeks of to and fro and is he or won't he or will he like is just i mean it smacks of i tell you what it tells me it tells me that somebody at the top of government was arguing with rishi sunak saying we can't do this because if we cancel it you're going to lose the red wall entirely labor will probably gain it you're already 25 points behind. So please, please, please don't cancel HS2. Now, Hunt and Sunak are on the flip side where they're like, we've got to fucking cancel it. We can't afford it. 
if we carry on spending money on this thing, we're going to fall behind somewhere and we can't cut anything else. And also everyone's on our back about fucking inheritance tax and give corporate corporation tax like a little bit of a cut. So we make Britain more of an attractive place to invest. Everyone's on their back, but they can't fucking get the only way that they can cancel it and get away with it is if they wrap it in this pretty wrapping paper and say, oh, don't worry. Yeah, we are cancelling it, but we're not cancelling it because we've mismanaged the economy. We are cancelling it because there's more efficient ways of spending that money. And here's the really nefarious fucking devious shit. By the time it comes round to this Network North project actually being established, consulted on, the analysis being complete, all of that stuff probably will be after the general election. And then whose problem will it be? Fucking Labour's. <laughs> so this is in some ways just another exercise of, you know, making shit so bad so awful that then Labour are forced to deal with it. And then the Tories can be in the opposition benches going, look at what a state British transportation is in. Look what Labour have done, you know. So I think that's what this is. Rishi Sunak's speech today, I thought I'm going to try and be objective. I will try to be not a hugely tribal, boring as fuck culture war lefty about this. I'm just going to say this, right? He actually delivered his speech a lot better than I thought he would. I don't, I don't think he's a natural orator. I don't think he's a particularly good communicator. You only need to see a couple of his interviews with Beth Rigby or Ridge or Peston or whoever. Like, you just watch him in an interview. He's objectively pretty bad. But he did get through his speech in reasonable form today albeit you know slightly like both he and his wife right <laughs> so, both he and his wife come off as hugely insincere i don't think that's you know a revelation to many of you if you follow me or you listen to this podcast you will know that you know i i don't think he's particularly sincere like emotionally psychologically but also you know you can meet good liars right and i don't think either he or his wife are particularly good like a performance in that respect. When he talks about allocating transport money or looking out for small businesses or looking out for family, you know, they put on this sort of faux compassionate tone. They adopt these aural modes that they associate with compassion, <laughs> but they've never actually had to walk the walk in that life. So it is only a superficial layer to decorate the cold-hearted, callous, privately educated, super rich set kind of, of, of like mentality that they actually have. OK. So what you get is like a very, very rich. Uh, oh, what's her name? Is it Akash, Akasha Murthy? I think his wife. You get a very rich lady up there in a nice dress, speaking very well, speaking very nicely. She's actually a better speaker than he is. And she talks about his compassion, but sans compassion herself. <laughs> it sounds performed. It sounds like, I tell you what it sounds like. It sounds like when she speaks, it sounds like a good cop in the room with the bad cop. <laughs> That's what, and he's not even the bad guy. Like, she just has that tone. She's like, 
up there. She goes, that's what I just know that it means so, so much to him. There's a layer of cunty condescension to her. You know, I just know that he's looking out for the country he loves and he shares your value. It's the same tone, the same conversational modes as I would expect if I was accused of murder. And they were trying to get me to confess it and I'm in the police interview room. And then the good cop is there like, a, I mean, we're just trying to help you aid. We're just trying to get you into the best possible place. Now, come on with the pen and the paper here. Draw a map to the bodies, would you? Come on, there's a good lad. We're just trying to help. You know, I'm sorry that's a dark example, but that is the tone. That's the tone that I get from her. And it's kind of similar with him. He also comes off as very, like, faux earnest, right? Very faux earnest. He's up there, like, um, he's like, that's why I'm looking out for the hardworking British families who just want to get on. You know, it's like David Cameron sold it a little bit better. Rishi Sunak is like the world's worst radio ad. You know, when they get some shit awful voiceover guy on like here at Harley Street, blah, blah, blah. We understand that although beauty is only blah, blah, blah. It can build confidence. It's like that sort of thing. It's like a professional tone and nasally and just insincere. You just know the voiceover guy doesn't give a fuck. He's a voice. He's a performer. He's probably beautiful. I understand the challenges that ugly people face. Oh, fuck off, you pretty cunt. It's like the same. This billionaire married to his emphasis billionaire wife with their gated mansion and heated swimming pool planning permission, flying off to Silicon Valley, donating millions to foreign tech colleges. I understand the struggles that normal people are going through. Oh, really? What, what was your last struggle? I had to wait seven weeks lead time for my Yves Saint Laurent suit to be exclusively, specifically tailored to my bald... Uh, oh, I don't know where that came from, but that's the tone. I get from him. Last thing, and then I'm going to go, guys. Okay. Um, I uh, do. Do I think that this is going to save Rishi Sunak? No. <laughs> I think he's toast. I think this had all the hallmarks, all the um, the layers, all of the expected responses and reactions to convince me that he's basically a dead man walking. You know, like we've got Liz Truss who commands the support of 60 uh, Tory MPs now who are looking for this sort of turbo growth trajectory. I think the support of those 60 MPs will probably push him into taking more radical right-wing low-tax action. He may well just hit the button and then announce a general election at that point. Or if they get there first, they might put in letters of no confidence against him, put, like pushing their own suicide button. <laughs> Um, I, I, I can't see a route out of the problems that he has right now. And actually, I, I saw somebody tweet about this earlier, that this time last year, Liz Truss was giving a keynote as uh, prime minister, as leader of the Tory party. And she was gone within like a month after that. Theresa May gave a speech at the Conservative Party uh, and she was gone a matter of months after that. 
so the idea that this sort of you know aren't i great and these are my visions and blah 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 that this is going to save him is kind of laughable i think when you're 25 points down and you've got these factions in the Tory party who are all kind of conspiring against him. You've got your home secretary, who is the star of the show, in the front row of your keynote speech with a face like a smack does. I think all of the boxes are being ticked here. All of the necessary plates are spinning, for want of a better phrase. Uh, all, all of the criteria for this scenario, for him to be booted out of office or forced to... Um, uh, to, to press the button on a, on a general election. I think all of those have been met and it will probably be only a matter of uh, when now, rather than if, when that decision gets made and when that GE gets announced. Um, guys, I'm going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for watching. Um, if you've enjoyed this, if you like the podcast or if you like the punk politics stuff, you might consider jumping onto my Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash aid Thompson with an IN on the end. I always put a link to that in the description. Uh, for all of the episodes. Um, I've got a live show coming up. It's on Friday the 10th of November. That's with Super Tansky and Danny fucking Price. Uh, it's in Tower Hill in London. You can still get tickets to it now. It's not sold out yet, but I'm confident that it will be. Um, and failing that, I will catch up with all of you on a guested show this Friday night with Alex from Political X. Um, and yeah, till then, take care of yourselves. Keep it booge. I'm out this motherfucker. <laughs>